1: I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about how cancer changes the landscape of our friendships. In my writing workshops, there are a lot of laughs and there are a lot of tears. People are working through their breast cancer experiences by bringing forth the various things that happen to them after diagnosis. One theme that often comes up is the heartbreak of friendships that couldn't stand up to a cancer diagnosis arriving. It's an aspect of having cancer young, of being the first in a group of friends or colleagues to face something so hard. Some friends can do it, and we are so, so grateful for them, and some drift away, and their absence haunts us, breaking our hearts. My guest today writes beautifully about the friends that leave and what that taught her personally. Her name is Lauren Candice Tarpley. Lauren was diagnosed with stage two, her two positive breast cancer at 34. She works in corporate social responsibility and lives in Charleston, South Carolina with her husband and young son. She lives for cupcakes, sushi, and traveling. A girl after my own heart. Hey, Lauren, welcome to The Burn. Hey,
0: thank you so, so much for having me. I have been waiting so long to.
1: Have this sit down with you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to do this. So, you're reading a piece that you wrote for our 2021 community issue. This was an issue in which we explored all the people who gather around us in times of need, some unexpected allies, and others expected and hoped for, and some who drift away. Your piece is called The Friends That Leave. After you read, we will chat. And for those of you listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Lauren, I'll let you take it away. All right.
0: When you are an adolescent, young adult, A-Y- aka AYA cancer patient, you're not quite sure where you fit in. You are not a pediatric cancer patient, nor are you an older cancer patient. So you are not the typical cancer patient. Your friends are moving on with their lives, graduating high school and college, getting married, having children, going on vacation or out to dinner. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you're in the chemo suite, having surgery or stuck at home because your immune system is shot and you don't want to get sick or risk having treatment delayed. As an AYA cancer patient, you are faced with your own mortality at a young age and many of your peers cannot relate to that kind of trauma. Many of them don't understand that cancer is a torturous experience that can stay with you long after you have finished active treatment, if not forever. Since being diagnosed with breast cancer in September of 2020, I have lost quote unquote friends and a year of my life along this journey. But I have gained much more than I've lost. I used to think that people who abandoned their friends after a cancer diagnosis were terrible and selfish people but I've come to realize that they simply couldn't handle it. The people that I have lost or finally cut loose have never had anything bad happen to them. I say this with kindness and a tiny bit of jealousy. When I say nothing bad, I don't mean they've never had a breakup or a hangover. I mean, they've never had a life altering or potentially life ending event. For the people that could not handle my cancer, that is their problem. Their trauma response is flight, and I do not blame or even hate them for leaving, ghosting, or not even having the common courtesy to send a checkup text, although this lack of blame does not undo this harm. But that that's not on me. That's on them. If my diagnosis scared them so badly that they no longer wanted to be around me, I get it. It scared me too. But I do not have the privilege to just leave. When I was diagnosed, I had a pretty good feeling of who would stick around and who would be gone by the time my hair was. And the last year, I realized that it is not me or my growth that has scared people off. For the first time ever, it really is not me. It is their preconceived notions of cancer or their past experiences or traumas with cancer. Maybe they lost a close family member or friend to cancer and they do not want to bear losing me. Maybe they do not want to hear the pain I'm going through through treatment. Either way, I have been left behind and ghosted by friends, both old and new. And at first, I thought this was confirmation that I should not tell people about my diagnosis. So for a while, to protect my heart of glass, I kept the news close to my chest. But how does that help anyone else? How will others know that AYA cancer is a reality if AYA cancer patients aren't visible? Around December 2020, when the reality of the situation set in and I started to feel and look sick, that is what made it very real for me. Then I knew I needed to seek out people like me and find my community. I was not ready or comfortable sharing my diagnosis with everyone I knew and had ever met, aka through my personal Facebook and Instagram accounts. So I started a new Instagram account, Type A Guide to Cancer. And through this account, I felt most comfortable sharing my diagnosis. I was also comfortable sharing my experiences with treatment and what I was going through at the time, whether it was emotional, physical, or psychological. Through it all, my large tight-knit family has been there for me since day one. And the friends who did stay are now family too. And by taking the risk of sharing my diagnosis online, I found the community I once thought didn't exist. I never thought that I would meet such wonderful people on the internet. You usually write that off to trolls and keyboard warriors, but I can honestly say that my online breasties are my second family. And for that, I am grateful. They have been there for me when I needed them. And when those surrounding me just could not understand my breasties and pink sisters get me with the smallest number of words, or at times just a photo. This AYA cancer patient has finally found a place where she belongs.
1: Mm. Thank you so much for that, Lauren. Thank you. All right, we'll take a quick break here and hear from a Wildfire fan. And when we come back, Lauren and I will get into her story. Only in Wildfire do I find stories, poems, uh, and pieces that I can completely relate to or also find very interesting and compelling. It's um, stories from people who are like me. They know what it's like to look a certain way and society looks at us a certain way and yet they don't know what's actually going on with our bodies, our brains, and even our sex lives. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for the love, Mary. Really appreciate that. Welcome back, Lauren. Thank you again for your powerful story.
0: Yeah. Thank you for the platform and the opportunity. Um, yeah. Like going back over that and reading it now, like it's, it's just wild. Um, because in the moment, you know, it really hurt and that's where those words were coming from, but now it's almost like a badge of honor. I mean, oh gosh, that was, that was 18 months ago, um, that I was referring to, right. Yes. Um, when I was writing that. So, you know, 18 months is, is a long time. Like when I wrote that God, I hadn't even been in, I was probably in the whole, think of it for like nine months. So um, now it's just like, oh, okay, who again? Oh, they're gone. Okay. Like there's been a whole nother exodus. Like, I mean, you know, there's the people who leave that can't handle the diagnosis. And then there's the people who leave who can't handle like how long this is going on. Yes. And then there's people who can't handle the aftermath. Like- the person you become when you choose to live the best version of yourself or the best version of your life. Like I don't, I don't really drink anymore. And for me, Mm -hmm. that's coming from someone who would have five to six a night or a bottle of wine Mm -hmm. over the course of two days. And so when I say I don't drink, like I'm having two a, a weekend when we go out to dinner, like there's, you know, I don't, I don't drink anymore. I don't, I mean drinking in Charleston is just like such a like it's interwoven on everything you do so I don't go out to brunch I don't go day drinking I don't um I haven't been able to go swimming because of recon surgery so I don't Mm. go out on the boat so I don't I don't go to the beach the sand and your stitches things like that like just my life has totally changed so I'm on my third exodus Mm -hmm. (laughs) I should probably write a follow-up piece (laughs) um but yeah and it's okay like at first it made me sad and you know writing that really really helped me to realize that it wasn't me you know i'm um i'm not george from seinfeld even though we have like a lot of some similarities <laughs> like you know he's like it's me it's not you it's me it's like no it's not me this time so it's not it's me. just been really yes. nice to have that clarity yeah
1: yeah well i wanted to ask you um have you You've had obviously new people come into your life, this new community. Have you also had some friends come back? And have you had the opportunity to have some of these discussions with with them yet?
0: So I haven't had anyone come back that left after diagnosis. Okay. But what I have had is some old friends that we just incidentally lost touch or, you know, before the pandemic, I feel like everybody was kind of living their best life. Right. And I was extremely busy. Mm -hmm. Like my son was just over a year old. I had just gotten a new job. I was like on that corporate climb. So like if it wasn't a plan that was set in stone or like I would set reminders in my phone to text my friends like to keep up with people because there were just so many people like I was so popular. And then this happened and I'm like down to bare bones. But just like right after the pandemic started, I really started reaching out to people with that extra time that we had been blessed with. Like not having to commute, not really being able to go out to dinner or go to meetings or things like that. I reached out to some old friends and I'm and I will just say that's like one of the silver linings of the pandemic because you know, some of these people that I'm referring to, um, you know, I met in high school and then, you know, we rekindled our friendship and to the point where like we were truly family. Like when we were in college, we had keys to each other's houses and dorm rooms and things like that and so I am really blessed that some of those people are back, but no one has cared to return who took <laughs> took a hard left out of um, Lauren Candy's land um, once I was diagnosed, and that's okay yeah. um, because the conversation, the few that I've had, you know, they're really looking for that old person back, mm-hmm. and that old person and her habits are who got cancer, and so you know, a lot of us will never know what caused our cancer. But I do know that I'm literally living like a 180 life since then. Mm-hmm. And so if that person with those habits of like the heavy drinking or like not just being hungover and like not working out, like I, if I don't get my 30 minutes a day, like I can't sleep mm-hmm. because I have like, I, I give myself anxiety, like I've disappointed myself. So like I wake up at five because it's hotter than anything here by 9 a.m. I wake up at five. I write for 30 minutes, I walk for an hour and I'm able to do that because I'm not drinking at night, right? Yes. So yeah, those interactions we've had just really cemented that I am truly a different person. Um, This has forced me to grow up like a little bit faster. it's been like a pressure chamber, which has been okay. Mm -hmm. And we're just, we fundamentally are different people. So yeah, it's not really going to work out moving forward.
1: Well, and fair enough. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like a, a hermit crab, you know, you moved out of a house and you've moved into something else and it will have different strappings, different people, different habits. And it sounds from here, like you're, um, you're doing great and you're enjoying it. I love that.
0: I'm trying. Yeah. I mean, I am enjoying it. I am enjoying like the, the new benefits of like a new outlook, a new perspective. Um, yeah, just, I mean, just a lot of silver linings. Like that's not to say that things like I don't have bad days or things don't suck sometimes, but I'm literally just looking at it 180 because yeah, I mean, it's like stranger things. Like I'm not in the upside down anymore.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well, one of the things that brought you and I together on Instagram, I think initially was this idea of advocating for the AYA community. And so I want to talk to you about that. For anyone listening, who's not familiar with AYA, it's adolescent, young adult cancer. So I think, um, and Lauren, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the ages are 15 to 39. Is that right? Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what your advocacy looks like and why, what that calling was for you and kind of how that came about during the course of your own, you know, experience.
0: Sure. So, I mean, I think the, not if I had a catchphrase, it would just be, I don't know what I don't know. Um, And I think there's like a lot of, like, for me, that's freeing because I'm just really transparent, like from first, you know, first pitch. So um, when I was diagnosed, I just, I think I literally Googled like breast cancer at 34. (laughs) Like when I got diagnosed, I was Googling like, and it wasn't, for like diag- diagnosis or diagnostic stuff, like it was really just like looking for community. Mm. Like, what to do when you get breast cancer at thirty four? What to do when you get breast cancer and you have a one year old? Like, I just yes. Google the craziest things. Um, I think I put those things into Instagram too. Like, what what to do next? And then that's you know that's also where this personality and my book was born. Like, this super type A, just like just really craving direction, mm. craving. Research craving how to beat this, how to come out successful. Like, I did not have a great um, clinician initially. So, like, literally, it was September of 2020, and this is July of 2022. So, you know, we're at 22 months. but even now still, if I think about it, like it was my first interaction. I got a phone call that said you had cancer. And my, my very first appointment, my doctor was just like super aggro. Like she was like, okay, well, you got you this. And, you know, if it spread here, we need to figure out if you're treatable or curable. It wasn't like, this is what you have. Mm. It is manageable. This is our plan of attack. It was just like, she literally... It would have been maybe better if she just gave me a book that was like the history of HER2 cancer Mm -hmm. and just like threw it at my face. Mm -hmm. And then I could have read all the bad things because that's what she told me. It was just like all of the outcomes and what it could be while my head is still reeling that you just told me I had cancer. Like I'm not, I'm only absorbing 5% of any of this because I'm, it's, this is disbelief. I live in just like a super jokey kind of world. I honestly thought it was, I thought my doctor was like joking with me. And I was like, I will take it. Like, please be a joke. So yeah, like when, like when that happened, I don't know. It was what it was. So once I was Googling, like, what did you do when you get cancer at 34? Like the very first thing that popped up, thank God, was like adolescent and young adult And that really, it made sense to me because I'm glad there's a classification, like not just, I mean, I feel like there's juvenile cancer, AYA, my mom's friends, and then like people who get cancer are like 70. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So I was glad to have a classification. I was glad to have something further to Google, which I just don't recommend Googling anymore. (laughs) But um, that was nice. And um, so once I learned about that, and it it also kind of just like, I was taken aback that I'd never heard anything about that. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard anything about AYA cancer, like not even in, I mean, I was very loosely related to a lot of philanthropic activity. Like I would always go to a party for a cause, like Mm -hmm. party for a purpose, like anything that was giving back. And as much as I had heard of the American Cancer Society and Susan G. Komen, I had no idea what AYA cancer met. Mm-hmm. And so from the day that I started looking into things and researching resources and groups um you know trying to find people on Instagram things like that I knew that even having friends who had AYA cancer they didn't even know they were AYA cancer patients. Right. Uh-huh. And in talking to them and just having been around that universe and not ever having heard that, I knew that that it was my calling to publicize what AYA cancer was. And then also for people who look like me. So while I was diagnosed at 34 and I knew two women who were diagnosed at one at 30 and then one at 36, they weren't women of color. So I know that the, there are these like super false, um, urban legends, for lack of a better word, or just more so like taboo the like BIPOC communities, you know, the thing is just like, oh, well, we don't get that Mm -hmm. because that's not what's represented in marketing. It's not what's represented in commercials. There aren't young women out at the gym with a bald head working out or at CrossFit in commercials for NBC medications or just for any kind of chemo or even for headscarves or things like that. It's always an older Caucasian woman. It's, it's always something like that. So, you know, then that, that got on my next soapbox. Like, so, you know, my advocacy is rooted in age like um, ageist and race racial disparities in medicine, because while I never had a setback due to those I could have if I didn't have this type A personality. Mm, mm -hmm. And so that is my origin story of my X-Man. But that's where it comes from. Like, it's just, I look to the left, I look to the right, I didn't see anything. So that
1: leaves me. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I really love this one word that you used, um, which was that you were craving information. You were Mm -hmm. craving connection. You were craving answers. And I can really resonate with that full body ache for some kind of understanding, something Mm -hmm. to attach to. And it's really... It, it's what keeps us up at night, right? And keeps those wheels kind of spinning in a way that you can't settle till you either find it or make the resource. And and yep. you did both. You found community and you started creating resources for others. So tell us a little bit about writing and where that's taken you these days.
0: Yeah. So uh, full transparency, uh, like always, I I like reading. I don't love reading. I enjoy writing. I don't love it. Um, I never thought I would uh, wrangle my thoughts enough or corral them enough to have one like cohesive thought to even write a book, let alone like three, and now I'm on my fourth one in, I don't know, a, a year. Um, so again, like when I was looking for those resources, whether it was something for my age group or my, um, you know, my, for BIPOC women, anything like that, I couldn't really find much. Mm. Um, I will say in 2020, especially with everyone being like confined to their homes, I feel like that was a spontaneous burst of, um, creativity for a lot of people. Like that's when I created my podcast, right? Mm -hmm. I was stuck at home and I was like, how can I still reach people, talk to people, meet people? And then six months in being stuck at home, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I was like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've got to get so much of this angst out. I have half the friends that used to have anyone to talk to. So let me just write down my thoughts and I'll have somebody else hack it to shreds. But that's just where that came out of. Like writing was really therapeutic for me And I don't really know a ton of people like me that are, I don't know, an 85-year-old super organized woman, like shoved into a 36-year-old's body. Um, So I love really old stuff. I watch like Seinfeld and I love Lucy all day, every day. And I love, as much as I love cupcakes and sushi, I love making lists. Like those are my three favorite Mm -hmm. things to do. Like I love Post-its. I love making lists, all that stuff. So I just figured if I don't, again, I look left, I look right. I don't see any people my age or my color or my ethnicity, like getting diagnosed in my area, then, and a lot of my friends aren't type A, then there's going to be a lot of people that are diagnosed that are very, that look like me or are my age, but don't have my personality. And so then without that, Drive and that crave for that knowledge. And if you just kind of, if you're caught off guard and you're just, you know, so afraid or just have no idea where to start like you need that, you need that, you need that book. You need that type a guide to cancer. And I, I will never claim that my books have everything from A to Z. That's why it's not type A to Z guide (laughs) to cancer, but they are fantastic jumping off points, right? Like everything just needs a conversation starter. So you can loop it back to your specific um, situation, like your specific circumstances. Um, and so then most recently I had too many cells, uh, come out and that's my children's book Mm. where we, I straddle the line between science and then like talking to children where you really want them to meet you. Um, I don't know how I got so blessed with my son. He's so freaking smart, but like he's three and he, he speaks like he's six. So, um, I don't ever (laughs) say anything twice that I don't want him to repeat to the entire world. Um, So we uh, have never said the word cancer to him. Mm. Um, But I remember one of my very first appointments with my oncologist, I'm like, I just don't understand what cancer is. And I was like, for five minutes, can you just talk to me like I am stupid? And I was like, talk to me like I'm a child. Talk to me like I'm an infant. And I mean, this is two years ago. And he was like, it's just, it's, it's just too many cells. Like it's a collection of cells. Like your body's just making so many cells. It's like literally not doing anything else. Your body's not attacking them and they're kind of taking over. They made, um, I had calcifications, which would have turned into a tumor, which, um, you know, everybody uses different words like, um, tumor calcifications or, um, what's the one with an eye? I don't know. I didn't have it. So, um, <laughs> But, and I just, that really stuck with me. So we've involved my son through the whole journey. Again, he wasn't even 18 months when I was diagnosed. So um, once I, I went into surgery the day after his, um, second birthday for my double mastectomy. And I remember it made me feel better um, buying him these doctor pajamas. Mm. And I got him like a little doctor kit. And so like we included him in that, like ever ever since my second surgery, first was port, second was the double mastectomy. Um, so we involved him and every time, I mean, from the time he was two, like mommy's just going to the doctor or I would say mommy's going to the hospital mommy is having surgery today. Oh, what, what is that? Oh, well, she's just going to fix my boo. there. You know, the surgeon's going to fix my boo-boos, things like that. So, you know, I, I didn't, I've always wanted to write a children's book. I thought it was going to be on the subject matter of which my podcast is based on, but I'm just so entrenched into this community. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a good way that I thought that this would be like a really good follow-up to type A guide because a lot of people are diagnosed when they have children, especially if you're AYA. Yes. And it's really hard to figure out where to start to talk to them about this. Like, what on earth do you say? Like, you don't want to say sick. You don't want to say bad. You don't want to say, you know what I mean? Like there's, depending on like where you are and you know, what your child has already been exposed to so far. You don't want to say those words and then have them resignate at like a bad time for them or, you know, they see what you're going through and then they take that with them through their life. Like you're really just trying not to mess up
1: your kid or unalive them at every juncture. Exactly. Um, and they know. But that's, they, that's where that came from. Yeah, yeah. And they know something's going on, right? So you do need some kind yeah. of language or some something to tell them. Um, And I do remember when I was going through it, how very few books there were that depicted a young family going through it. You know, they were more like grandma has breast cancer or the neighbor, the elderly Mm -hmm. neighbor has breast cancer. So I just, yeah, thank you, Lauren, for doing that and putting another resource out there that is age specific, AYA specific, because – like you said, a lot of people don't realize that AYA is a classification or that there need to be age specific resources there. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. AYAs are like improportionately financially impacted by cancer. I mean, just like I write in type A, like there was a time where I didn't even have insurance and I didn't think anything of it. I was in my mid twenties. Like what, why would that matter? Like you get I thought it was totally normal. You get bumped at 25 and then you figure your ass out Mm. and then you (laughs) finally get a drop of insurance at like 29. So like between 25 and 29, like as long as you eat some apples and take a pop of multivitamin, like you should be okay. Like I did not exist in the headspace where 25 year olds got cancer. Like God forbid if that would happen to me in in my little insurance hiatus, Mm -hmm. um, So, you know, I just try to tackle all of that and just be super transparent with everyone. So they feel seen because, you know, if you if you feel like you're the only one with this, then sometimes you have no idea where to start. Um, And then also with type or too many cells, I definitely um, made sure to make the book inclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, back to those taboo subjects with um, different ethnicities and their families and, you know, these fireside conversations, you know, in just in certain cultures, it's like you, we don't get cancer or you don't get cancer when you're young. And that's just not true. Right. So I just wanted to show like, I mean, my family and I are on the cover as a cartoon, like, you know, I have a biracial family. Um, like I made sure to include like as many ethnicities and races as I could in the book and like interracial families and things like that, because that's our reality. Yes. Um, I just, I write about what I know. I write about my experience. So, um, I just hope people understand that like they don't under, if they don't agree, like that's totally fair, but all you would be disagreeing with is like my personal experience, like not my opinions really.
1: So yes. Okay. Oh, I love all that. And I just want to underscore one little thing that you said that I love so much because I think it gives permission to other people to experience writing, even if they don't love it. Like you said, you don't love writing. I am I'm trying really hard to remember the person who said this, and a listener will have to tell me, but there is a writer who has said, I don't like writing, but I love having written. And I think that. yes, right. It sums it up, right? It's just, yeah. Exactly.
0: My husband helped me find the words. I was like, I can't believe I'm like a publisher. other. He's like, you're not, you're a storyteller. <laughs> or what did I say? I said, I can't believe I'm an author. I'm a writer. He's like, no, you're not. You're a storyteller and you're a fantastic storyteller. And I was like, okay, you know what that tracks? Because if I had to create like fictional characters and keep their backstories alive, like you would totally understand the inner workings of my brain. And you'd be like, <laughs> how do you get dressed in the morning? And I would say it's a lot of workout clothes and a lack of zippers. Like that <laughs> is like, that is my whole MO of life. But yeah, I'm just a storyteller. And so I think that when I found my niche and like my lane, um, my speed – um, I think that's what really just kind of cemented my confidence and you need a little bit of that to like finish something. Mm-hmm. I think writing is like being a lawyer. I think being a writer is like being a lawyer. And, uh, um, I think a lot of people have gone to law school, but I don't think there's a lot of, law- <laughs> like, I don't think there's as many lawyers mm-hmm. as there are people who went to law school. So I think that sometimes people think being a writer looks like something mm-hmm. like I'm a full, first and foremost, I'm a full-time wife and mom. Second secondly, I have a full-time job in tech and in the corporate world. And then like somewhere far down the list, after like being a cousin, I'm I write. Yeah. Like I I take it seriously, but I'm not like calling Stephen King on the weekends. So it's definitely not ever going to be that, but I think, you know what I mean? So if you're like, Hey, I'm a novelist, or if you're like, Hey, I'm a storyteller, or I re I recant, I recap stories or my experiences. I think that takes a lot of the edge or intimidation off of it. If you find your lane and your speed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, and just lean into the calling, um, for the advocacy part. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much. Will you tell us all where we can find you in your books and everything about you online?
0: Oh my gosh, yeah! If you want to know anything about me, everything is online. Um, I again, I have a problem with the lack of transparency, so I could never be a magician, uh, but I really tried hard <laughs> when I was younger. Um, so yes, I am Lauren Candies Tarpley. Um, you would have been able to find me at any bar at any given time in like three years ago, but I'm usually always at home. Uh, handle is type A guide to cancer, that's on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. And my books, type A guide to cancer, um, and too many cells, too many cells is also out in a Spanish version, you know, representing for um, you know, racial disparities and um you know, lack of trans, you know, loss in translation, like don't really love that. So mucha celulas is too many cells in Spanish. All of these books are available on Amazon, Walmart, Target, Barnes and Noble and books A million.
1: Ah, uh, amazing. And we are going to link to all of that too. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you for coming on with me today.
0: Thanks again for having me. Like you're like just your presence and your voice is so calming. Like I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> thank you for having. Like, I feel like I need to speak. So thank you for having me today. It's so nice.
1: you're so welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Oh, I love that. All right, you guys. Today's writer and guest was Lauren Candy's Tarpley. Her piece was called The Friends That Leave from our August-September 2021 issue of Wildfire magazine called Community. I'm April Stearns. You've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 37 issues in the wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story, and don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Here is your writing prompt. A letter to the one who left. We're coming back to Lauren's story and the friends who left, and I want to help you process and let go of some of those emotions that you might be holding in your heart. So I want you to write a letter to the one who left, and I want you to begin it with what you didn't see, what you didn't see. Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out, where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. And until next time, take good care.